Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our fourth episode of 2022. Uh, Before we kick off, I'd like to thank the sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money, our gold sponsors, Jonar Tools, Millennium, and MyBundle.TV and our silver sponsor, STL. I hope you all joined us last Wednesday for Fiber Broadband's webinar, 43.5 billion paths for broadband infrastructure, now your next steps. We had a standing room only virtual audience and you all did a great job of asking a lot of really tough and challenging questions, so thank you that. So you really challenged our panel of policy experts on the upcoming NTIB program and next steps for the state broadband offices. If you missed this webinar, members can go to our website under events and watch the replay. Speaking of NTI, today at 2.30 Eastern, NTI is holding its third public virtual listening session focused on the BEAD program. Uh, The key policy questions that are gonna be discussed today are what criteria should sub-grantees be required to meet to demonstrate they are a qualified network operator, you know, defining the term eligible subscriber for the low-cost broadband service option requirement, the extent of beat funding that should be focused on deployment of middle mile infrastructure, and then what processes and requirements for transparencies, accountability, and oversight of the beat funding. You know, NTI's request for comments is coming up quickly and is due on Friday, February 4th. A number of you have reached out to me requesting some appropriate language that you can include in your comments to encourage NTIA to prioritize fiber projects for this historic investment in our nation's critical broadband infrastructure. So we crafted some sample language for you to use in your filings, and I sent that out in an email um, to members on Monday. So if you didn't see my email, please reach out to either me or Jennifer, and we'll get you a copy. On the FCC front, on Friday, the FCC released the rules on implementing the Affordability Connectivity Program commonly known as ACP, which will replace the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. If you have not reviewed these rules yet, you're going to want to take a look at those. On the Hill yesterday, the House released the text of the America Creating Opportunities for Manufacturing, Preeminence and Technology and Economic Strength Act of 2022, otherwise known as the America Competes Act. The House claims that this package will accelerate U.S. production of critical semiconductor chips strengthen the supply chain, turbocharge our research capacity, and advance our nation's overall competitiveness. More specifically includes $52 billion for the Chips for America Act. It authorizes $45 billion to improve the nation's supply chain and makes investments in solution-driven innovation. On the supply chain, the telecom investment is largely on wireless with a $1.5 billion focus on open RAN along with focus on 6E and promoting U.S. wireless leadership abroad. There are, there are, however, 
some provisions that fit nicely into the Fiber Broadband Association's efforts on supply chain gaps, vulnerabilities, and national security. So we're going to keep an eye on this. So as usual, you know, no shortage of things going on in DC. But that brings us to today's Fiber for Breakfast session. And today we have the privilege of a fireside chat with the Honorable Chris McLean of the Act as the Acting Rural Utility Service Administrator. You know, last week we met with our good friend Ernesto Falcon of EFF to discuss what it will take to close the digital equity gap. You know, Ernesto is always a crowd favorite, and I always enjoy our discussions. This morning we have the privilege of holding a fireside chat with the Honorable Chris McLean, the Acting Rural Utility Service Administrator. Chris McLean is the Assistant um, Administrator for the Electric Programs, AAE, at the Rural Utility Service. He was named to this position in January 11, 2015. This is Chris's third time at the agency. At AAE, Chris presides over a $48 billion loan portfolio. In recent years, the RUS lending budget for this new electric uh, loans has exceeded $5 billion. The agency makes low interest loans for rural electric infrastructure, renewable energy generation, smart grid technology, grid modernization, and energy efficiency. Chris is also serving as acting administrator for the entire agency, but also finances water, sewer, telecommunications, and broadband infrastructure. Prior to his return to RUS, Chris was the acting director in the program planning and accountability division of the office of the assistant secretary. Of, for civil rights at the United States Department of Agriculture. From 2010 to 2012, Chris served as a senior advisor to administrator of the RUS. Chris is a former RUS administrator and former governor of the Rural um, Telephone Bank. Welcome, Chris. And for our Thanks, audience, man. please type in the questions as you go and I'll fit them into our discussion. So with that, Chris, you know, this is your third time around at the RUS. Can you start with kind of what has changed over the years and kind of what continues to be the same? Well, yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for that lovely um, introduction. Um, let, let me tell you about one of the things that ha hasn't changed, and, and that is the gratitude we have for uh, the members of your association and your audience who work so hard um, to be able to connect all Americans to uh, this digital future. And, and that's been a shared quest of our agency uh, going, frankly, going back um, even before the Telecom Act of 1996. Um, we, we had a provision called the state modernization planning in, uh, in like the early 90s. And, and that kind of launched RUS um, on its uh, mission to try to uh, move from telephone service to uh, internet service and now to broadband service. Um, so yeah, I, I, I came to the agency in, in the last century <laughs> after being a, a staffer on Capitol Hill, worked on the Telecom Act of 1996. Um, and I think that has been a long time um, quest of ours is to be able to you know, connect America, rural America. Um, when, when I started basically for, well, basically for the agency's history from, from 1949 to uh, 2000, uh, our main tool was, was low interest loans and our technical assistance provided communities. Um, we financed a number of rural uh, local exchange carriers. Um, but right around 2000, we realized that we need to go to the next level. And so Congress added 
to our agenda um, ability to finance broadband infrastructure or internet infrastructure and um, for the first time gave us a little bit of grant money to be able to put to that mission through our program we call Community Connect. And then you fast forward to um, the Great Recession 2009-2010, Congress gave us the American Recovery and Rehabilitation Act um, significant amount of grant money and, and what we did is a, we, we put that to work with loans and grants and loan grant combinations. And that's kind of the model that we've been following in our latest major, major push um, called ReConnect. Uh, and we've had two rounds of funding uh, where we've again made loans, loan grant combinations and, um, and grants available uh, to serve underserved rural areas. And, and right now we're at a very, very exciting time um, in that we are in the third round of funding. I've got a funding opportunity open and it stays open until 2-22-22. So there's still time to get in. Um, our number one rule for these competitions, you can't win if you don't enter. Um, but we are really excited to see the level of interest that we have in the, in the program. And so now we have significant um, resources available um, through the appropriations for the ReConnect program. And then as soon as we um, close this funding round, we have you know, uh, right behind it uh, funding from the bipartisan infrastructure bill, um, which again is another $2 billion, uh, which we're gonna put to work to further close the digital divide in rural areas. So Chris, you know, so there's been a lot of changes over the year and it's, you know, certainly you're kind of, I call it one of the founding fathers of the telecom, you know, 96 Telecom <laughs> Act, right? You, you definitely put pen to paper on that. And so you've kind of been shepherding along, you know, kind of where we are today. Um, so you had talked to me the other day about, you know, kind of RUS, you saying kind of the quest has continued to be the same despite all these changes. Well, I, I think, you know, we've always had an, an ethic of, of an engineering ethic is that, um, we want our borrowers or our awardees to be able to do the very best they can, right? To be able to invest in, um, basically we, we describe our, our engineering ethic as do it right the first time. Now you build your church for Easter Sunday because you know, in rural America, you get to do it one time um, or you don't, you know, you don't just in time, just in time bandwidth is, is not uh, efficient when you're dealing with high cost, difficult to serve areas. And um, one thing that is changing, and sometimes this is hard to explain to policymakers, is that this is um, a, a, a moving goalpost for us. Um, you know, the, what, what has been defined as broadband has changed over time. And what we did in this funding round is take a, a giant leap forward um, to, to, to finally uh, recognize, I think, um, what what your membership has, has proven and, and um, what we all know is that rural America needs the same kind of bandwidth that urban and suburban American have. And so we upped the, we upped the bar um, in terms of our eligibility requirements. So in the first two rounds of funding and reconnect, we had a 10-1 eligibility speed. We're moving that up to 100 over 20. And, um, and then we had a 25-3 build to speed, and we're moving that up to 100 by 100. Now, the good news is when we had the 25-3 build to, 
in more than 90% of the cases, we got more than 100 over 100. So uh, I think the lion's share of you know, the vast majority of our awardees were doing fiber to the home um, type of, of, of construction. So that's a, I think that's a very um, clear indicator of, of what rural America needs and wants. And the pandemic proves, the fact that we can have this meeting today, <laughs> right, proves that we, we need um, we need to have high capacity bandwidth in order to function. And again, with deep gratitude to everyone in your industry who kept our economy operating. I mean, you're the great um, essential workers of the pandemic is because, you know, without bandwidth, um, so much of our economy would have had to shut down. Um, I'm, I'm going on my second year working from home. I mean, we're running a major financial institution with our slippers on and and um, our customers uh, have not suffered. I mean, in fact, some of our some of our uh, productivity has increased um, because we have connectivity and the ability to work remotely. And um, you know, I, I think it's a it, we we didn't plan it this way, but the pandemic made the case like better than ever that we we just have to do this right the first time we have to we have to get as much bandwidth out as possible have a future proof um, infrastructure and um have you know have universal universal broadband availability yeah so chris you you talk about um you know kind of the focus of RUS is really you know i think the way you just described that is to you know being first out of the gate to really hit you know 100 by 100 build two speeds and you know, just not believing in just-in-time bandwidth because, I mean, we can see that, you know, as all the politics are in, you know, whether it's, you know, 10-1, 100 by 20, whatever, we're shipping 10 gig symmetric networks. And so more than half of the fiber networks out there are 10 gig capable and going to 25 gig and beyond. So it's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's silly on the, you know, the politics of this to, you know, uh, specify networks of the past. One, one, of, one of the earliest lessons I learned from um, some of our engineers at the agency when I when I joined them the first time, um, and I'm, I'm trained as an attorney. I'm the son of an engineer. My dad worked for the uh, old Western Electric, so I've got this kind of telecom in my blood. But you know, many years ago, the lesson was like, get your outside plant correct, and, and the rest will take care of itself. Right. So if you get the 20 year investments right, then the five year investments of electronics will evolve gracefully. But you can't do it the other way. So um, I, I think that we're at a place uh, with this competition where where I think um, we have a real shot at making um, transformational difference in in large swaths of the country, because a lot of the country with this new eligibility test. Um, is on the playing field uh, for for our U.S. eligibility, and that's extraordinarily exciting. Well, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, just kind of things that have stayed the same in our U.S. is just, you know, you mentioned that um, rural America needs the same bandwidth, if not more, than um, urban. And it appears that your providers, that rural America, when they take your money, they are building um, some of the most advanced networks and providing most advanced services in the world. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's the tale, right? That's the tale of rural America. It's the best of times, the worst of times. It's the best of times. And recently recently financed RUS um, 
borrowers and awardees because they are they are deploying state-of-the-art um, technology because they know that it has to last. Um, and then there are other parts of rural America that we are trying to catch up with. And, and, and that's the point of our competition and FCC's RDOF program and NTIA's uh, new initiatives is to try to get funding um, to those places that have had the hardest time to, to be able to um, get to modern connectivity. Okay, well, before we get into kind of some of the um, activity and details on some of your programs, um, let's just start, you know, so you're acting administrator. Um, unlike, you know, we just saw, you know, Jessica Rosenworcel get confirmed, and then we finally, Alan Davidson, NTIA, um, the administrator for the RUS, that's not a Senate confirmation, is it? That's correct. Um, it, it used to be. Um, so when, when I was administrator for one one brief shining moment, um, that was a Senate confirmed position. But in the, um, I think it was about 2011 or so, uh, Congress changed the position to a presidential appointee. Um, so uh, though there there were um, you know we're the we're the successor to the Rural Electrification Administration um, and so we, we trace our history back to to 1935 and in fact we continue to administer the Rural Electrification Act um, but uh, you know when when Congress reorganized the Rural Utility Service um, you know, we had a Senate confirmed administrator and again then now we have a presidentially appointed administrator. Okay. Well, so I'm serving, I've been serving as acting administrator since the um, since the inaugural, and it's it's a great pleasure and honor to be able to do this job. Well, we're I mean we're thrilled to have someone with all your experience uh, at the helm. Um, so so you have a you know in addition to running the whole agency, you have a day job. Um, yes. So tell us a little bit about you know the electric programs and what's going well, on yeah, there. And, and, and I, I want to share a kind of a fun a fun fact. Um, so yeah, my day job is to be the the head of the RUS electric program, and and we do about five plus billion dollars of investment a year in electric infrastructure, um, and and virtually every part of the um, electric infrastructure distribution, transmission, generation, renewables, energy efficiency, and smart grid. And so the last two fiscal years, so fiscal year uh, 21 and fiscal year 20, um, my program, the electric program, actually financed in miles of line more miles of fiber than we did miles of power line for smart grid. And so, uh, in fact, this last fiscal year, which we just closed in, in October, we did 25,000 miles of fiber financed by the electric program. So that's separate and apart for all the great stuff we're doing in Reconnect, which is a, which is enough fiber to circle the globe. Um, rural, you know, the, the the electric grid of the present and the electric grid of the future requires as much information, ability to move information, as it does the ability to remove electrons. And so, as we bring in renewable energy and we bring in energy efficiency and demand side management, those are all information intensive efforts. So modern electric grid needs to be connected and there's a great synergy um, and catalytic nature of this electric industry's investment in smart grid with creating capacity that can also be used um, to, to help spur uh, broadband availability and then in 2018 congress gave us the authority um, in several rural development programs to devote 
up to 10% of a project cost to retail provision of broadband. It's called Smart Utility Authority. So I've had a handful of projects that not only financed uh, fiber-based smart grid, but are now so also financing fiber-based uh, broadband connectivity to their members. And, uh, and, and we're seeing great interest in the electric industry, both co-ops as well as uh, investor-owned utilities and municipal utilities in, um, in, in smart grid, in middle mile, and in participating both in RDOF as well as our reconnect uh, program. So we've had a number of awardees in round one, round two that were rural electric cooperatives, and we're seeing a lot of interest in round three. So it's, it's a, a very interesting kind of new dynamic. Um, and uh, I think it's, it's very beneficial to rural America to be able to build out capacity as much as possible. And, and, and one of our, um, one of our uh, uh, RUS electric borrowers had won uh, an, an award during the um, Recovery Act uh, for, for, for broadband. And they had some surprises. They had a surprise on the upside because they had a big, two big wireless carriers be surprise customers of their bandwidth for, um, you know, for backhaul. So uh, again, it, it all is synergistic with rural development, and um, and and again, we're excited to see uh, rural electrics get in the game um, along with telcos, cable companies, and internet providers. Yeah, there's what, about 950 rural electric co-ops that are, and quite a few of those are, uh, and more every day getting into broadband. So when we look at this whole broadband infrastructure investment, um, I mean, what you said just kind of resonates, right? With if the electric operators are taking their electric funding and building out enough fiber to circle the globe, it seems to me that if we're going to be building critical infrastructure, I can't imagine any other choice than fiber. And just to, you know, say the obvious. Well, I mean, yeah, and again, in the electric, um, I mean, your your engineers probably know this, like, but but I mean, but you know, you have two choices. I mean, you, because because of the um, um, the electrical interference of the power line itself, fiber fiber is a perfect option. Um, you can't use you can't use cable. You can't use coax because of the interference, and you need to like drop down into the lower level of the of the power pole um, and um, and then you've got wireless and a number of a number of uh, ut electric utilities are using um, wireless um, but there's a level of security that fiber provides and capacity and future proofing that uh, just just makes sense uh, and that's why we that's why I've seen over the last five years this tremendous growth of interest um, in fiber based smart grid uh, because smart grid is so important because it, it it helps you with your resiliency and your recovery and you can you can shave off days of of times when you have like a, a service interruption by being able to pinpoint where the outage is and and having that data um, um, again, over a fiber network um, is, is just essential. And so now just to talk about reconnect. So obviously your broadband program, you've done, you know, you're in your third round and getting ready for round four. So um, what, give us some highlights on reconnect, you know, kind of what do you think our members need to know? Yeah. So again, I think, I think the bandwidth, the step up in bandwidth is really important. And, and particularly, I think 
your 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 manufacturers and service providers to um, the the um, uh, industry um, get ready because I think I think we're gonna have a lot of projects getting um, funded. Uh, we have this this round also we've tried to take into account the needs of the most underserved communities. So we have. Uh, certain categories of funding if you're um, in persistent poverty areas or tribal areas that we ha can have a hundred percent grant availability without a matching requirement uh, that's also going to be a feature of round four because that's statutorily uh, referenced um, and the applicant gets to define uh, their service area and by moving moving the um, bandwidth criteria up again it means that more areas are eligible for finance under this program uh, and um, there, you do have to comply with environmental reviews um, you know once once uh, a project is awarded funding before the funds can flow um, but uh, if, you know that's because we actually finance specific infrastructure um, instead of just like making operating um, investments in, in utilities. So, uh, so it's an on, we got an online portal. Um, you can find tons of information about the program on the USDA website. Just go in the search, uh, the search box for reconnect. Um, and our portal has a mapping tool so you can look at your service areas to see um, what areas are, are um, potentially eligible. and we take into account um, data sources when we evaluate um, levels of service um, from, from multiple sources of data and if necessary we can also send out our field staff to do um, visual and physical in, in, in inspections to make sure that areas are eligible there's a comment period for existing service providers to um, let the agency know that maybe they're already providing service um, and we, we double check and validate those claims before we make awards. Um, I do have one of um, someone from our audience is saying they're having um, significant technical issues with the application portal. Um, are oh. you planning to extend the, the due date of the applications? Well, I'll, I'm going to make a note of that um, and uh, please communicate that to us. Um, and it, and it, um, and, and my, my uh, email address is christopher.mclean at usda.gov. So whoever's having um, issues, please let me know. Um, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll check them out and make sure um, we, we don't have any um, major problems. I've, I've, my report so far has been that the portal has been um, functioning, but it could be that we're, we're reaching a level of, of uh, the deadline approaching and a lot of activities yeah. at the same time. But I'm, I'm making a note right now um, to, to double check that. So I want to kind of close on one comment that you made to me that I thought was really important, that you made the comment that RUS invests in infrastructure, whereas the FCC invests in a level of service. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, well, so, and, and that's kind of tied to that comment I made about um, environmental review. The question is like, well, why, why does RUS have to do an environmental review when the FCC and many of their programs, they don't have to? Well, that's because um, our federal investment is going to build specific pieces of infrastructure. We are building networks um, and, and 
where you have universal service support, you're getting a level of support based on the service, or in RDOF, you're getting a level of support based on your promise to provide a level of service and the validation of your provision of that service as opposed to um, the FCC financing a specific line that might run from uh, one, one, one part of Missouri to another part of Missouri, right? I mean, it's just, we, we can track every penny of expenditures that are made and, and, and follow them to uh, infrastructure or capital investments. And not every program that supports um, telecommunications in America does that. Um, you know, again, some are more towards the operating level of support, and frankly, we we will find we will leverage that operating support in our loan programs. So for many many years, you know, RUS loans leveraged FCC universal service support because that provided the business case to be able to afford to find pay back those loans. But our loans were financing specific infrastructure where. Um, where FCC was financing a cost of service. Well, Chris, I would love to talk to you all day. I learned so much every time I talk to you. So <laughs> thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to get together with us and uh, share your insights. Um, we do have a number of questions I wasn't able to get to, so we'll send that over to you and then you'll have those contacts. But well, again, thanks. And all our members chimed in that they really appreciate your service and thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you and thank you to, for this opportunity. It's a, it was a real pleasure. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. I look forward to getting back together next Wednesday where we're going to be discussing a one traffic light town in eastern Kentucky with some of the fastest internet in the USA with the People's Rural Telephone Cooperative CEO uh, Keith Gabbard. So you're not going to want to miss that. Also, tomorrow, Thursday, January 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern, our Women in Fiber Committee will be launching its 2022 quarterly webinar series, The Road to Women in Fiber, Diversity, Mentorship, and Networking. So please join that. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to you again, uh, Chris. We really loved having you on the show and I look forward to talking again soon.